This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and joining me here today is a guy that was here yesterday and the week before that and the week before that. Well, you get the picture. Here is the captain. Yeah, only a couple more months to go. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking 614 Lager by our friends over at Wolf's Ridge Brewing in beautiful Columbus, Ohio. 614 Lager is brewed to be clean, crisp, and refreshing. And guess what? Mission complete because 614 Lager is light, smooth, crisp, and crushable. This is a light lager with good hops, garage grade three and three-quarter bottle caps out of five. And a big cheers goes out to our friends that helped us out with filling up the fridge this week, first up, a cheers to Carmen, listening in her garage in Marshalltown, Iowa. And a big shout-out to Susan in Charlotte, North Carolina. Next, we send a shout-out to Nurse Melissa from Hookset, New Hampshire. And a big We Like Your Jib goes out to Holly from Parts Unknown. Next up, Captain, we have Mary in Kearney, Nebraska. And last but certainly not least, a big cheers to Tyler H. in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Everyone we just mentioned, they helped us fill up the fridge this week. And for that, we are forever grateful. Yeah, Chattanooga. Choo-choo! B-W-E-R-R-U-N, beer run. Go to the store page. Get you some. It's a good way to support the show, but you get something in return. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
Here, Captain, is another interesting, scandalous, dirty deed conducted by Alec Murdoch. At the hospital, with cops looking into speaking to all of the kids, Alec recommended to Connor Cook's family to hire a one Corey Fleming as an attorney to represent Connor. According to the Cooks, Alec neglected to mention that the attorney that he is telling them to use, Corey Fleming, was Paul Murdoch's godfather and Alec Murdoch's college roommate and close friend, if not his best of friends. Yeah, besties. The alleged idea is that Alec Murdoch deliberately hooked Connor up with Corey Fleming so that Fleming could ensure that Connor, not Paul, was seen as the driver of the boat on that fateful night. In 2021, attorneys representing Connor in Connor Cook v. South Carolina Department of Natural Resources filed for pre-civil suit discovery requesting depositions of a number of law enforcement officers. These were necessary because the court filings allege there was a conspiracy to cover up Paul's involvement in the crash and pin it on Connor. The petition adds that these deponents may have information regarding a conspiracy to misdirect the criminal investigation away from Paul Murdoch and wrongfully shift the focus to Connor. The law enforcement officers mentioned in this petition are Michael Brock, Austin Pritcher, who we talked about quite a bit in episode one, John Leroy Keener III, Robin Camlin, and Troy Andrew Crafe. The petition adds that the petitioner is informed and believes that certain evidence gathered at the scene and thereafter is now unable to be accounted for by law enforcement authorities, and the deponents will be questioned about the failure to conduct an appropriate investigation, including the failure to administer field exercises to Paul Murdoch. In other words, the lawsuit alleges Alec Murdoch set Connor Cook up with Fleming, who told him not to talk to the investigators as part of a campaign to ensure he was wrongly identified as the driver of the boat. Yeah, it's sad. They also allege that the officers failed to collect Paul's phone and failed to give field sobriety tests at the scene. Only after Connor fired Corey Fleming and obtained new attorneys and spoke to prosecutors was Paul Murdoch charged. Well, that's interesting. He has to change his lawyers, shift his lawyers before we even see charges brought against Paul Murdoch. Connor was told by Alec Murdoch and Corey Fleming to keep his mouth shut, part of an orchestrated campaign to hold Connor both civilly and criminally responsible for the incident. Per Newsweek, Alec Murdoch approached Cook in the hallway of the hospital as he was heading to get his jaw x-rayed and told him everything would be all right if he would keep his mouth shut. No pun intended. Connor said he was intimidated by the Murdochs and was deliberately vague about who was driving until he realized that he was the intended scapegoat. A civil conspiracy among five law enforcement officers resulting in knowing attempts to interfere with the investigation. The five officers have information as to a campaign to cloud the investigatory issues and disseminate false information in the community with the intention of misleading law enforcement and prosecution charging parties and the public 
into wrongly and falsely believing Connor Cook should be arrested and charged as the boat operator. All right, this is a lot to unpack, and I'm trying to follow you. We have this, it's hard to even call it an accident because I think Paul was driving maliciously. He was drunk Mm -hmm. and I think acting completely irresponsible. Police show up at the scene. They don't do a sobriety check on Paul. People are making statements, multiple people in the boats stating that Paul was drunk, stating he was driving crazy, stating that Paul was driving. Mm -hmm. And now once they get to the hospital, it seems like Alex, the head of the Murdoch family, is now trying to shift the narrative away from his son and put the blame onto Connor, which is the one that made the 911 call. But what you just stated there, and if I'm following you correctly, is that there was five law enforcement officers that were involved in trying to turn this whole plot against Paul into a plot against Connor. Yes, that's what the lawsuit alleges now as far as the law enforcement officers and their quote-unquote involvement to me it looks more like they chose to sit on their hands and do nothing right and then things got got wonky afterwards and of course someone has to be operating the boat now we know that alec murdoch is going to try to shift this into connor was operating the boat because of statements that come from the passengers where you know, Paul was driving, but Connor had to save them from smashing into something when they were going the wrong way. He, you know, had to grab the wheel and, and jerk the wheel so they wouldn't smash into something. Right. And then at another time when Paul decides to leave the wheel, go up to the front of the boat and smack his girlfriend and spit on her and call her names, somebody had to step in and grab the wheel then too. And that was Connor again. So Connor becomes the likely scapegoat of, oh, well... We can take this situation, make it a little confusing, and maybe we throw it in a blender and hit the hit the button a few times. And now when we when we pull it out and take off the lid, it looks like Connor was the driver. The thing, too, is, again, somebody has to be held responsible for operating the boat. We know that somebody was operating the boat. And I I really like that you and everybody else out there picked up on this because this is something that was interesting to me. It wasn't a question about. If there was somebody that was drunk driving that night, that seemed pretty obvious. But the more that I dove into this situation and the written statements of the passengers on the boat that night, it was clear to me that not only was Paul drunk driving, but he's also like crazy driving. Like, oh, yeah, oh, right. you're telling me I can't drive my boat. You know, I, somebody else is going to drive the boat and he's just driving like a maniac very reckless behavior on top of what was already reckless behavior of the drunk driving. Well, he's acting as if he has no concern for others, period. And he should be arrested for being abusive towards his girlfriend and spitting on her. That's assault. Well, Connor Cook's lawsuit, which was filed on September 20th of 2021, named defendants. And the named defendants are Alec and Buster Murdoch, Parker's 55, Incorporated. That's the convenience store where the alcohol was illegally purchased. And Parker's employee, the Parker's employee who rang up Paul Murdoch's purchase of booze. The lawsuit alleges that Buster Murdoch gave his teenage brother Paul his driver's license so that Paul could buy alcohol. The driver's license, along with a third party credit card used, should have alerted the Parker 
employee that this is probably an illegal sale. So the credit card reportedly belonged to Maggie, right? So they're saying this should have tipped off the employee. You're getting an ID that has one person's name on it and a credit card that has somebody else's name on it. Right. Neither belonging to Paul Murdoch. The suit goes on to allege that Paul Murdoch was drinking all day long and should have been stopped from driving the boat by the boat's registered owner, which is his father, Alec Murdoch. It maintains that Alec Murdoch knew Paul was a habitual drinker. Yeah, but his father's not going to be a father. As much as we dislike Alec Murdoch, it's, it's difficult to say that he's not intelligent. He's just a shitty person. He should be able to see the, the writing on the wall here. His son is a problem and continues to be a problem leading up to this horrible tragedy of the boat crash. Seems like this family is so greedy and they probably spend a lot of their time focusing on trying to build wealth that they don't spend time on trying to build character within their sons they're spending too much time covering up their real character to build any character right. in the process yeah. so that's one lawsuit captain now connor cook wasn't the only one to sue before connor sued mallory beach's mom renee filed a wrongful death lawsuit back in march of 2019 just one month after the boat crash now the initial complaint named a whole slew of defendants and a lot of these are the same that were in the other lawsuits. So we, again, we have Gregory Parker incorporated, which is AKA the Parker's corporation. This is the, the convenience store where the kids bought their booze. They also are suing the bar where the underage kids, Connor and Paul drank the shots. They're suing the wood, the woods family who hosted the oyster bake at their home and again, that's why we say it's up for the debate on whether the adults at this party knew that kids were there drinking. Right. Goes on to sue Alec Murdoch as well as Buster Murdoch Jr. and Randolph Murdoch, the grandfather. Basically, the suit alleges that Parker's and the bar should not have served the kids who were underage, that the Woods knew about and should not have allowed underage drinking at their home and their party, and that Alec knew about and should not have allowed drinking on his boat and that Randolph knew about and should not have allowed drinking on the island. He's the property owner. And that Buster, the brother, knew about and should not have allowed Paul to use his ID to purchase alcohol illegally. The lawsuit maintains that all of these events contributed to the boat crash and the wrongful death. Well, it's one thing for the parents not to have seen the kids drinking when Paul's friends are saying that he's acting erratic you would think that these parents would have noticed at least his actions. Maybe not noticed him drinking, but noticed that he was visibly drunk. Well, and there's conflicting statements from people that were at that party. Some saying that it was well known that kids were there drinking underage, and others saying, nope, nobody underage was drinking here at all. Right, but again, we, we already have evidence that Paul's father is trying to cover his tracks, so I would say the the parents that are saying, oh, we didn't see anybody drinking. That's Paul's father getting to them and covering his tracks. Well, and I have a hard time believing it's not impossible, but I have a hard time believing that if they weren't drinking at the party, that Paul Murdoch was able to get three times over the legal limit in about an hour and a half. Right. That's some, that's some serious binge drinking. If that's what in fact happened here. Now, what's interesting though, captain is notice who was not mentioned in the lawsuit and that's Paul Murdoch. 
who was driving the boat that night. And my guess is it's because you don't sue people that don't have any money. Right. And so him being the youngest person on there and not a corporation, his name seems to be absent from that lawsuit. Now, after this suit was filed, Alec Murdoch resisted turning over financial documents. You know, you, you have to turn over these financial documents because of course, scumbag, they're entitled to know what means he had of paying off any jury award or settlement money in this civil case. So the walls are closing in on Alec Murdoch and his family. He and Maggie sold one of their homes in May of 2020. So it looks like from the outside looking in here, Captain, it looks to me like things aren't great for them financially at this point. Well, it seemed at some point in this lawsuit that there might have been some negotiations to settle this, but at some point that ended. Yeah, and then there's also Paul's criminal trial right? For killing Mallory. And of course, COVID caused major delays. So as of June, 2021, Paul was still awaiting a trial date to be set. He was facing 25 years in prison, but for now he was out and about and living his normal life. And he's 22 years old at this point. He had completed his junior year at the university of South Carolina and was home for the summer when all hell broke loose. I just want to reiterate that Mallory Beach is not back in college, that she's not back to her regular life. Mm-hmm. On June 7th, 2020, at 10.07 p.m., Alec Murdoch called 911. We tried to clean up the audio of this call as much as we could. The dispatcher's voice is very harsh, so you might want to turn down your volume just a little bit during this call. Kennels. Uh, uh, uh. I 
Okay. And did you see anyone? Okay. Is he breathing at all? No. No. Is she? Okay. Do you see anything? Do you see anyone in the area? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. What color is your house on the outside? What color is your house on the outside? Uh, it's white. You can't see it from the road. Okay. Is it a house or a mobile home? It's a house. Okay. And what is your name? My name is Alex Murdoch. Okay. And did you hear anything or did you come home and find them? No, I've been gone. I, I just came back. Okay, and was anyone else supposed to be at your house? No, ma'am. Please hurry. We're getting somebody out there to you. Oh, Okay, what is her name? Maggie, Maggie and Paul. Maggie is her name? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And please hurry. Uh, we're getting somebody out there to you. Me asking you these questions don't slow them down, okay? And you sure they're not breathing? Is he moving at all, your son? I know you said that she was shot, but what about your son? <laughs> Nobody. They're not. Neither one of them is moving. <laughs> what is your telephone number? And does anything look out of place? Ma'am, not, not particularly, really, no, ma'am. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm going back down there. Are they close, ma'am? Yeah, they're, they've been around with you ever since you've got on the phone with me. I have multiple people coming out there to you. Okay, can you do me a favor, Mr. Murdoch, and turn on the flashers on your car so that way they can see where the kennels are? Do you have your flashers on for me, Mr. Murdoch? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I
don't want you to touch them at all, okay? I don't I don't know if you've already touched them, but I don't I don't want you to touch them just in case they can get any kind of evidence, okay? I I already touched them trying to get a um to see if they were breathing. Okay. Well, I, I just don't want you to move anything just in case they can get any kind of evidence, okay? Oh. Ma'am, I'm going to call. I, I need to call some of my family. Okay. Well, well, do me a favor for me. Whenever you see the officer or the medics, because they're, they're all coming to you. Absolutely. Okay. But we have them come in. Turn on the flashes on your vehicle so they can see you, okay? You got the flashers on for me? I do. Okay. All right. Just whenever you see them. Okay. How old is your son? 22. Okay. All right. Okay. We're, we're getting them out there to you, okay? And I will answer if you call. All right. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. 
it's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. I'm back. He's back. We're all back. Cheers to the people in the front. And on the sides. And the back. As you heard, we can hear a distraught-sounding Alec Murdoch. He's gasping, trying to tell the 911 dispatcher that he needs police and ambulance immediately. His wife and child have been shot badly. Please hurry. I'm not going to go through the entire call there, but some key points there. He states out that, that neither of them are breathing when he found them. 
and the dispatcher asks him not to touch the bodies. He says, I've already touched them to see if they were breathing. He distinctively says that he just got back, that he was previously gone. Yes. So the call lasts about six and a half minutes. And the sheriff's office was dispatched immediately. They arrive about 20 minutes later. They called in SLED at 1028. And agents from SLED arrive on scene at 1147. For context, the shootings happened at the Murdoch's very remote hunting lodge, a home that they called mostly that sat on 1,770 private acres in Islington. Now, Islington is a rural small town about 65 miles west of Charleston, and the Murdoch's estate was outside of town. Now, one thing that I thought was very smart of emergency personnel, the dispatcher there, telling Alec, hey, turn on the flashers or the blinkers on your car so that when emergency personnel arrive on scene, they know where you are. Because if anybody's Googled this property or, or seen video of it, uh, there's aerial video footage of this property. It's, it's large and it's in the center of it. It's rather open. And you can see that there could be multiple buildings or anywhere outside that the two victims could be when personnel's arriving on the scene. And of course, even though Alec Murdoch says, Hey, they're not breathing. We want to get to them as fast as we can and try to save lives. So I thought it was very smart of the dispatcher to recommend putting on the flashers. Well, and they also don't know if the shooter is still there. Correct. So this identifies him not only where the bodies are, but identifies him as the person that called and and possibly not the shooter. That's one thing that I kind of called into question too. Alec Murdoch seems to be of zero concern if the shooter or shooters are still there. Yeah, very good point. And it's like, well, does he know that they wouldn't be there or is he just so distraught from the scene that that's of little to no concern. That's not even a thought that's managed to make it to his head yet. And I don't have the information, but I also, when you're questioning that to me, it's, well, how many entrances and exits are there to this property? And is it one of those things where he, he entered the only way you could and there was no car in in his path. He saw no cars. So therefore he just assumes that they're gone. Well, and one thing I wanted to point out with this property is that this is an extremely remote private property, right? So it's not a situation where somebody's just looking up an address and then driving out there and locating the, the place very easily. Now, this home was Maggie's preferred home. Again, we already stated that they had several homes. This is the one that she spent most of her time and preferred to spend most of her time at this residence. This is because of the dogs. So they had a, a kennel and I think you hear him reference that on the call. If not, he at least references it during the, you know, the later days, Right. but the kennels were where the bodies of Maggie and Paul were found lying close to each other, which is about a quarter mile from the home that sits on the property. So very large property here. Now, very little next to nothing actually was released about the shootings and the investigation. Officers with the 
Colton County Sheriff's Office reported that they had discovered several shell casings at the scene and that Maggie and Paul were killed by different firearms. But then they handed over the investigation to SLED, which is now being sued by multiple media outlets for not complying with FOIA rules. Now, SLED stands for, it's the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division. We have discussed SLED here on the show many times in the past, but for those unfamiliar, the primary mission of the State Law Enforcement Division is to provide quality manpower and technical assistance to law enforcement agencies and to conduct investigations on behalf of the state as directed by the governor and the attorney general. Now, of course, SLED has done a lot of really great work on several cases that we have discussed. Definitely. But specifically, they did absolutely groundbreaking gangbusters work yeah. in the mid-80s on the Sherry Smith and Deborah Helmick cases that we covered here. And don't forget the the Gutierrez case that they just made an arrest in. They made that arrest in North Carolina, but they made it because SLED reopened the investigation. So I won't be handing out the same critique as we did for the other agencies as SLED has certainly earned a high level of garage cred here. But here is what we have gathered as for what went down in this Maggie and Paul mother-son double homicide situation. This is coming from FITS News. They reported that authorities believe Paul was killed with a shotgun and that his mother was killed with a semi-automatic rifle. The Wall Street Journal has the most information reporting that according to the death certificates, Paul was shot in the chest and head, according to a person close to the investigation. He was shot at close range with a shotgun. We also learned that Maggie was shot multiple times, including in the back with a different gun and cases of a type of ammunition known as 300 blackout were found nearby. This according to two people close to the situation, adding that the Murdoch family owned an AR-15 style rifle that can use that type of ammunition, but it was not, was not recovered at the scene or turned over for inspection. That's a little suspicious. So the media has published these unsubstantiated reports, but official statements are few and far between. Reports submitted to the court backing up SLED's heavy redaction of police reports indicate that at least one firearm was seized at the scene. FITS News says that at least one of the weapons used in the shooting belonged to the family. It also reports that casings were recovered and sheriff's deputies were seen searching a swampy area near the property. And it has been widely reported that Maggie's cell phone was found on a road outside of the property. So maybe one of the shooters collected her phone. Seems odd though. Maybe both phones, but collected her phone and just tossed it out the window as they drove away from the scene. Possible. It does seem a little odd, but not if you want to prevent somebody from calling 911 and saving their own life so they can testify against you later in court. Yeah. Good point. One of the Murdoch's extended family members used find my iPhone to ping it. So police could locate it. That's how they located the phone. Finally, FITS News reports that redacted police reports about the scene indicate that there was a third party 
a third party at the scene when police arrived on the scene. This person's name has not been released to the public. Interesting that they're not calling them a, a witness or a suspect. My guess is maybe that this person was on the property. You did say it's a large property and had no knowledge that the crime took place at the time that the crime took place. And then they don't want to name the individual because they don't want people jumping to conclusions or or pointing the finger and saying that that person is a suspect. Well, and the other thing here, Captain, is we got to keep in mind that this property, you know, they had the dog kennel there. This was also like a, a hunting and outdoorsman type property. So there were a lot of guns on this property. Makes me wonder if there was like um, trail cams. Well, and I always wonder too, when you have people that have this kind of money and this kind of property, this just happened recently. We're not talking about a case that was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Right. I don't understand why people don't up their security game and have some cameras of their own and other things in place when you have the means to do so. Yeah, this portion of the show is brought to you by Simply Safe. That's right. Now, the thing here, though, is what, the reason why I'm pointing out that the Murdochs had a lot of guns on this property is because it sounds very suspicious when you say, all right, well, we're hearing from somebody a bit of a rumor that that one of them may have been shot with a gun that was, that on was the property. owned by right, the right. Murdochs. Now, we don't know what went down. I mean, this could be a situation where one of them is being attacked and the other responds with gun in hand and somehow in a, in a scuffle ends up losing control of the gun and being shot with their own gun. It's, it's possible. It's possible. I, I think until we have more information, it's really difficult to kind of deduce what happened at the scene. Well, based on the history of this family and the their lack of character, it's, it's funny we talk about this huge property, uh, one property of many that people with so little character can have so much in the ways of material things. But my first question becomes, okay, well, this father is not to be trusted, even though he's the one calling 911. It's like, do some tests to see if he fired any firearms that day. Well, let's continue on through some of the official stuff, and then we'll get into some of the things that we were able to find and uncover. The Colton County coroner made the official identification of the bodies of Maggie and Paul and that they were killed by multiple gunshot wounds in the double homicide. That's their official statement. They died sometime between 9 and 9.30 p.m. But police made a statement to the effect that there was no danger to the public, but also saying that they had no suspects. Well, we've seen this movie before, right, Captain? We're being told by law enforcement that there's no danger to the public, but we don't have any suspects. Right. Well, if you don't know who did this, how do you know that there's no danger to the public? How do we know that this wasn't just a random act of violence or some there, kind of thrill kill? There's two people dead by gunshot. Right. You, you should be worried. I feel like I'm in danger. No manhunt was announced either. Now, what do police know about who shot Paul? And Maggie, that's the question, right? Even if they're not publicly announcing a suspect, do they actually have a suspect and believe that these two were targeted or one was targeted for any number of reasons? And just because there's two types of ammo doesn't mean that there were two different shooters. It just means that there were two different weapons. Again, 
a shooter could have brought one firearm to the scene and then somehow one of them comes to defend themselves or defend the other with a gun in hand. A Murdoch comes with gun in hand right. and ends up getting the gun turned on them somehow. Well, everybody, of course, is going to want to know what is Alec Murdoch's alibi? Where was he before he arrives home to this bloodbath? I find it very suspicious that he's pretty clear that I just showed up. I wasn't here before. Yeah, I, I get it. And and I think it's suspicious too. The problem with Alec Murdoch is let's say he's completely innocent in this situation, in right. this one particular situation. And then he then becomes a victim himself. And unfortunately he had to arrive home to seeing the worst thing you can imagine, your wife and child dead. The problem with him is he's such a shady character right? that you cannot look at him without giving the old stink eye in any situation. Mm, stinking pink. Yep. That's right. Because he's just, again, he's such a shady character. You feel like you cannot, if his, if his lips are moving, that's how you can tell he's lying. That's the kind of, kind of guy that I peg him as. But on the, to play devil's advocate, it's really hard to know how you'd react. I'd hate to have something tragic like this happen, and then my 911 call is going to be scrutinized by anybody. But with all that said, my speculation is it seems like he's kind of playing to the crowd with this call. And you're such in shock, but you're telling the people you have to go because you have to call other family members. Right. Yeah, I didn't like that one bit. But the other thing, back to him pointing out that he just arrived on the scene himself, you wonder, like, is that him going out of his way to say, hey, look, I just got here. I was gone, by the way. Or is it just him letting the emergency operator know I cannot offer up any more information. I just arrived on the scene myself. Now his alibi, and it seems like he's got a pretty good one here. This is according to the wall street journal says that on the evening of the shooting, Alec Murdoch was with his father at the hospital, Randolph, who was very sick. Remember, we think Randolph is a little shady too. In fact, Randolph is 81 years old on this day. And old Randolph Murdoch ended up passing away from natural causes just three days after Maggie and Paul were murdered. So to say that he was sick seems to be easily confirmed. He was at a Savannah hospital and was quite ill, the the father at this I'm time. guessing law enforcement checked out his alibi because the hospital would have had surveillance cameras. It would be difficult for Alec Murdoch to be lying about his whereabouts. To, to use this as an alibi and to, for it to be false, a false alibi. And Alec Murdoch, if you haven't seen him, again, a lot of these photos we'll post on our website at truecrimegarage.com or Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. We, we try to post some pictures from the case onto the social media site. So if you're not following us, follow us there. But Alec Murdoch kind of looks like if you took Conan O'Brien and you put him in a bag and you lit him on fire and then you put him on a porch and had somebody step him out. That's kind of what he looks like. The police have not addressed Alec's whereabouts that night, but keep in mind, Alec Murdoch has technically not been named publicly anyway as a person of interest in the shooting. So possibly his alibi is holding up and right. holding up strong. According to reports, Buster Murdoch, the other son, was placed somewhere else that night as well. 
But if you wanted to hire somebody to kill your family members, hey, make sure you have a solid alibi. Make sure you're not home when that goes down. The other problem with this whole scenario is this kid that has been murdered was responsible for the death of a young woman. Mm -hmm. And so anybody in that family or anybody that would know her would have motive to wipe this bag of shit off the face of the earth. Well, in this situation, the whole Murdoch family murders, every piece of this situation is incredibly fluid at the moment. So while we're recording this two days before it will come out, some of this could potentially change between now and then. That's the risk that we're we're laying right, down right. for you here in the garage. But the short of it is that no suspects have been named in the shootings of Maggie and Paul, and there have been no arrests. But two of Alex's brothers appeared on ABC's Good Morning America and stated that Paul Murdoch had been the subject of death threats since he was charged in the death of Mallory Beach. And the local newspaper, the Island Packet, reported that investigators were looking into the possibility that Paul was the intended target, right? If you think about it, there were a lot of people who might have been really pissed that they were dragged through the mud because of the boat accident that, again, all signs point toward Paul being responsible for Mallory's death. Well, think about the other kids on the boat that day when they're saying, look, this guy acted recklessly. And he's not going to get in trouble for it. And we have reports of people saying he, that Paul was smiling back at them. Like, yeah, I know I'm not going to get in trouble for this. So in some of those cases, you want to take revenge into your own hands. And I think his mother was just a bystander of that. We were kind of talking about this off mic earlier was if somebody wanted to kill him in revenge, Mm -hmm. chances are the mother would be able to identify that person. I don't know if there's two shooters, but you could you could make an argument that multiple people would have the motive to want. Yeah, there's no shortage of people that might have it out for Paul Murdoch. I mean, just off the top of my big, beautiful head here, we Gorgeous. have the people at the convenience store who are being sued, Luther's Bar, who's being sued, the Woods family, who is being sued, Yeah, the other kids on the boat, one who lost his girlfriend, Right. And one who allegedly begged Paul to allow him to drive, Mallory Beach's family. Yeah. I mean, I if if I'm Mallory Beach's father, my heart goes out to him first off, but I I'm if I'm I'd in that situation, Captain, I yeah. I I'm praying to God every morning when I wake up that I don't lose my mind and go off and strangle that little bastard. <sighs> because I think the the, the the problem with it is if there were just kids that were young and maybe they were having a few drinks, but they were trying to drive safely. If it was literally an accident, then maybe you could find some way to forgive him. Or if there was some kind of remorse coming from Paul, but it seemed like, again, he was belligerent. He was drunk. He was acting erratic. He was possibly on drugs and he acted like there was no care in the world. And on top of that, the family acted like, well, forget Mallory. She's dead and gone. We got to save everybody else. We got to save our son from being becoming the next victim. I want to make sure, Captain, that we note here 
that it's been reported that the Beach family, Mallory's family, has provided law enforcement with DNA samples. So they have been cooperating with this investigation. And the other thing, though, that we need to keep in mind is I gave you a list of people, but there are several other families that might want revenge against the Murdochs. Right. That have obvious motives for murder, and we have not even got to them yet. So you see what happens when you have a lot of power and you're not a good person or persons, well, then you create a lot of enemies. And sometimes when the sun goes down and things get dark and quiet, those enemies come a calling. This case has so many twists and turns. And like I said, it reminds me of Boys on the Tracks in the sense that there's crimes upon crimes upon crimes. We have this boating accident that, look, it's, it's murder. His recklessness caused her death. Now we have this double homicide. We don't know who's responsible for it. We're giving you as much facts as we can find. But on top of that, this is now sparking a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation. Yes, and you see this anytime you have a case that's high profile in nature, but there's not much information. People start to fill in the blanks for you. And some of this comes at the local level, right? And it kind of spills out and it spreads And now we have some information that, you know, I got to be frank here. It may or may not be 100% accurate. Uh, So take it with a grain of salt. But these are some things that I found interesting along the way. We didn't just, we're not just going to report every little tidbit that we find, but the ones that seem to have some credibility to them or some intrigue to them, we're certainly going to speculate on. So one of the rumors that I found online was that Alec, when he found the bodies, remember there was that statement that there was a third party who has not been named publicly that was also at the scene. Now, we do know that Alec says to the emergency personnel operator, hey, I've got to call some of my family. So there's a chance that that this third party person arrived after Alec called 911. Or there's also a chance that this third-party person was there before Alec even arrived on the scene. And one of the rumors points to that, stating that when Alec found the bodies, one of the guys living in the caretaker house on the property called Alec. This was Rogan Gibson. Now, Rogan's got a brother named Brody. So the thought is that one or both brothers were staying at the caretaker house on the property. Rogan called Paul to take a photo of his dog for him. His dog was in the kennel with the Murdoch's other dogs as it had an injured tail. The Gibsons were allegedly the new caretakers of this property. So they're taking care of the property and they're living there. Right. There are rumors that at least one of the Gibson brothers was at the shooting scene with Alec when police arrived. All of the police reports have been heavily redacted, so, again, we cannot confirm if this is true or not. Right, and there's also reports on people arriving after the shootings. Right, so that's where things get tricky. Could it have been one of these Gibson brothers or both that were already on the scene, or could it be one of these situations because we have people close to the investigation that are saying... The following, that one of Alec's brothers, remember we talked about the two brothers that went on Good Morning America, 
One of them claims that they arrived 15 minutes after Alec called him, which was after he called 911. And we know that Alec said, I have family that I have to call. Another situation, too, is that the other brother says that he arrived on the scene 30 minutes later after his brother called him. So now these guys, the brothers, would be arriving on the scene after Alex called 911 and after law enforcement presumably are already there on the scene themselves. Well, it seems like Paul's brother has an alibi that he was in North Carolina at the time. Right. Again, that's unconfirmed, but we don't know what his alibi is. Again, it seems to be a situation where his alibi might be strong, should be holding up. Uh, rumor is that he was in Charlotte, North Carolina, so he was a, a decent distance away at the time of the shooting. Again, you wonder how much of this is orchestrated and how much is not. Uh, it's a it's a very, very confusing and fluid situation here with this case. And the boat accident, as far as, you know... Let's call it a boat murder. As far as, as anything goes on the national level, right. this boat accident, boat death tragedy would never have really made national news if it wasn't for... The, the unfortunate double homicide that took place. Well, and this is where it gets weird. We have so many unanswered questions from the boat accident, the murder, and now we have a double homicide and we have even more questions on top of that. There's a lot of questions and one of them being, well, who was the target? You know, if this was not a thrill kill, if this wasn't a random act of violence, well, then one or both of these Murdochs were the target. Yeah, I lean towards the idea that Paul was the target. Obviously, he was a part of this accident slash murder, however you want to look at it. But it was his actions during that, his recklessness, the fact that he is doesn't seem to be remorseful, seems like he thinks that he can just walk on water. So if he is the target, then I believe then the the mother is just secondary just to make sure she's not an eyewitness. Well, and that's, again, that's what gets tricky, right? Because there's no question here that Paul, based off of his general arrogant, annoying, asshat personality, yeah. that he would have his fair share of enemies. His mother, Maggie, on the contrary, seems to have been generally liked by everyone. One thing that we don't know, though, is the life insurance policy situation seems to be confusing. I've not been able to find confirmation if there was life insurance money on, on either of these two victims. It's been reported by one of the Murdoch family's attorneys that there was not uh, life insurance policies on either Maggie or Paul. But again, I, I hold that into question, seeing how secretive the Murdochs are with all of their financials. Right. Uh, to begin with. But again, here, Captain, it just really boggles the mind. Could could Maggie have been the target and then Paul is collateral damage or Paul was the target, Maggie's collateral damage, or did somebody have it out for the Murdochs in general and just was willing to take out the whole family, but we have two that survived because they happened to not be there that night. Right, this family's actions and family members' actions have put other people into grief. 
the revenge would be, hey, I want you to feel my pain. And shortly after the murders, Alec Murdoch himself offered up $100,000 in reward money for information leading to the arrest of whoever killed Maggie and Paul. As a result of the murders of Maggie and Paul, the whole can of past worms got reopened. And now we have three people dead, hundreds of questions, and we're just getting started. So much more to get to in this case. Join us here next week for part three and four. Colonel, until next week, do we have any recommended reading? Of course, Captain. This week, I'm very happy to be recommending FBI Diary Profiles of Evil by Peter M. Klismet Jr. We've talked about Peter before here on the show. He was the FBI agent that very accurately gave the profile in the Beatrice Six case. So he came on to truecrimegarage.com and mentioned his book in our blog. And I said, you know what? I got to go pick it up. It's a great read. It's like receiving FBI profiler on the job training. He's walking you through how he learned in the cases that he worked over the years. So make sure you check out FBI diary profiles of evil by Peter Klismet Jr. You can find that great title and many more on our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.